electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. And Sarah, we'll pick up on that discussion. Fast Money does begin right now live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York's Times Square. I'm Scott Wapner in tonight for Melissa Lee. Our traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Carter Worth, Steve Grasso, Dan Nathan. And tonight we have the CEO of Take-Two Entertainment, Strauss Zelnick. He's here to talk about his big push into eSports as the company hosted its NBA 2K League draft this week. We do start with the global growth fears gripping Wall Street. Dow down more than 200 points at the lows. Rebounded nicely into the close. China got slammed overnight as its exports plunged. The U.S. added only 20,000 jobs in February. Worst week of the year for stocks as we mark the 10-year anniversary of the bull market. Came close to dying this fall. And as growth slows around the globe, the bull looks like it could be in for another bear scare. So how worried should investors be? Tim, I lead you, though with that breaking news that these trade talks are apparently taking longer than expected. Who could have thought that? <laughs> well, I'll say I, I, I think I hear some sarcasm, Scott. Look, bottom line here is if you throw trade dysfunction into the middle of a market that's getting growth signals that are really very difficult, headline on today's payroll number was shocking. You look below the surface, actually, wasn't that bad. There's certainly some irregularities in the data flow over the last couple months. Uh, wages are actually strong. Um, the, the Chinese data also, should we be really surprised that their exports fell? Well, a lot more than expected. The things I think you should be looking at are the following. Over the last seven days, we've seen credit begin to deteriorate. Remember, what was the difference between the pullback in October and the pullback in December uh, from that earlier in the year? It was that we really saw CDX, credit, whatever you want to measure, look at the H. HYG is one way to do it. That would be my concern. But bottom line here is the market closed on the highs, and that's very impressive. And in fact, I think that changed sentiment a lot. So, Danny, what are we to make of this uh, this breaking news? So I would tell you this morning it looked like investors were taking all the growth fears and all the potential for a pushed out deal pretty seriously. Crude <laughs> oil was down three and a half percent. The 10 year Treasury yield almost touched 260. Big technical level. Um, you know, China down four percent overnight. Nikkei down two percent. I mean, that seemed like kind of risk off sort of stuff. And we've actually had this slow burn up right for two and a half months or so since the December lows. So, I mean, the way you think about it, I think Tim is 100 percent right. The fact that we only closed down 20 bips in the S&P, the fact that crude made up a lot of uh, room, the fact that the 10-year Treasury yield did not close sitting right on that really big technical level, I think it's okay. But that being said, I, I, think, I just don't I know what the catalysts a, are right now. I think it was more of a, a question about going into the weekend without a China deal that's done. Maybe, maybe there was a risk to the upside. You know there's going to be a last gas bounce once they get a China deal. And I don't think anyone wants a short of it. Maybe. I I think it's been a legitimate question. I think think you'll get it. I already selling it, right? I think you'll get it. It's how long-lasting will it be? How quick will it be sold? And coming from this level, I don't think it's going to be that aggressive. But nonetheless, you're not going to sell it a weekend ahead of a potential deal. If there's any evidence the way it acted, the last time it was close, right, you had that flare-up, close on the low. There was actually a gap in the futures, which is exceedingly rare, and we've been straight down since. How much of this is, though, this, that maybe the sell-off and the recovery negate each other, and we're basically where we were in October when things were starting to get questionable, and since then, all the data has gotten worse, Mm -hmm. independent of trade or no trade. Zero growth, and I know, Tim, 
Tim brings up great points about why it's, it's not as negative as it seems to me, or, or, or on this side of the desk, I don't want to speak for you, but there's zero growth, basically, in Germany. Italy's in recession. There's no growth in, in Japan. The ECB probably overestimated wherever they think GDP right. is going to be. The, the ECB is out of bullets. Japan's out of bullets. Everyone's out of bullets except for us, and we don't have that many bullets in case of a downturn. And I think the market is having that day of reckoning, or it will be sooner rather than later. Look, I, I think if you want to look at this week, this was arguably a bearish reversal week. The technical guys can tell you all the definitions are. I won't make Carter do that. I, I, I think we've been leading to this for a long time. So Carter says we're kind of back to where we were. One of the things I've said is, and I'm saying this in the fall, I think Q1 2019 could be Q1 2016 light. Remember what happened? We had a growth scare. We actually had markets uh, that, that careened straight down. I think we got our market dislocation a little bit before this. Um, so tend to agree with what Carter said, but I just don't see the data falling apart that quickly. And, and again, let's talk about U.S. data for a while, because although this is a terrible headline print, the U.S. Oh, payroll is probably an is, anomaly. Is, I, you know, look, the market obviously I, I, is placing look, its best. The, the U.S. consumer is not dead. Silly and, fluky. And, yeah, but, but Tim, here's the thing. I mean, the data is not good and it's not getting better in China and it's not good. It's not getting better in Europe. And so the thing that I would be really worried about here after this really strong reflex is that we get into mid-April and we start having Q1 earnings and we start having forward guidance and we just see really light guidance. And that's the sort of thing that I think could really shake market participants because without that... Haven't we reset guidance though a bit? I mean, it well, seems to me like but, no one is expecting anything but, anymore. But in fact, outside of buybacks... constructive. They're not worried because the ricochet drew in a lot of money and, and emboldened people to think that it never happened. The December thing wasn't real and we know it was real. Yeah. But, but the conversations that I have with, with you know, active money managers and, and peers on the street um, is that people are not doing well in this market. People yeah, but there was a lot more this, easy. This, this I, I, I understand. I, I don't think people are complacent, though. I understand your analogy to 2015 and 16, but we were in a global easing environment back in 2015 and 16, especially in the Eurozone. They were throwing, they were throwing, where are they going to, where are they going to be easing from? Where are they ease from? We're so easy. But where are they ease from? They they threw a bunch of money. They don't have any money. Actually, Steve, we started tightening. In fact, the Fed's first red hike was in December of 2015. But that's off the table. But but the whole concept was then that the Fed was actually going to push the world into a global recession. But I think it's the exact same condition. But but Europe, where this is the main concern, where everyone, even even people that will say, I'm bearish will say I'm more bullish on America versus Europe, but Europe was on a, a string of easing for four years, and it got them no place. You want I mean, to talk I about a market the, the that has to reset? The key in the market no is there's one sector of 33. Remember, there's 11 S&P 500 sectors, 11 400, 11 600. There's one that's making all-time highs. Well, two. S&P mid-cap utilities and S&P 500. What does that say about this entire rally? Well, I was going to bring up the fact that you've got the transports and the Russell, which have been falling apart. Now, the Russell had a nice comeback today along with everything else. But the trend is not your friend if you're looking at, you know, Dow theory through transports and then small caps lead you down, lead you up. They're not performing well. Small caps have led us here. And and I would argue certainly the semis were the first to roll in the same way. Maybe it's like it was back in June. Let's wait and see. But but folks, uh, what? Is there any surprise? Markets have done nothing for for 15 months. I mean, this isn't you know this isn't really uh, with a lot of volatility in between. So I appreciate the fact that we're all gnashing our teeth a little bit. Are we? But the reality is, are we at an inflection point now? Is that where we are? I don't think so. If you use what Carter said, you say, okay, we canceled ourselves out. December down. Now we're up. Now are we at the inflection point? You need something dramatic to happen that could take us either way. EPS going negative, margins have peaked, and GDP is falling. 
Where, is that a, a spot where you want to put new money to work in the market? Yeah, and I'll make one other point. We have the Dixie, the dollar index, almost broke out to a new 52-week high today. We know there's plenty of room overhead if it were to do that at a time where commodity prices are pretty firm. People should be worried the about the part. dollar. So I that agree. combination to me with rates going the, down for the wrong reasons, not a great combination for stocks right now. Yeah. Now, as, just as we get set this weekend to mark the 10-year anniversary of the bull market, yeah. this conversation is wondering whether it's going to end. Um, I don't know, maybe momentarily. The markets are battling some key technical levels this week. Don't worry, the chart master is here to tell us what it all means. Why don't you go to the plasma and show us? Sure. So on the way to the plasma, let's just note that, of course, the bull market did end. The Nasdaq composite (laughs) dropped 24%. The Russell 2000 dropped 27%. And the S&P dropped more than 20 We've had a bear market. Now the question is, whether we're recovering and we're going to make new highs or that this impetuous bounce, impulsive, steep, uncorrected, is just that, a bounce. Um, No lines or drawings by me. Let's put in a few and see what we can figure out. So here's a chart of the S&P. And what we know is, again, while the 2800 level was cited, that's not the level that has mattered for the market. We've had three well-defined intermediate tops, 2817, 2815, 2815. And the market hit that level exactly last week after news on the trade front and has pivoted straight down. We know the transports have just had a record uh, sequence of losses. And so um, is it just a bounce? A couple ways to draw the lines. On the way up, we have had three, four distinct pullbacks. And you can see them here. So this was a three percenter. This was a 2.3, this was a 2.1, and this is 3.4. The bull would say that that's just a normal give back and that we're on our way after this little give back to doing big things like that. My hunch is otherwise, I think ultimately, we still have a lot of risk to the downside and at a minimum that we're likely to find a reference point as we found before here, just as we had reference points at the high at 2800, and that a normal check back is not going to be 3% after advancing 20, but it's more like 7, 8, 9, which would get us down to the bottom of this channel. And I think that ultimately is what has to be considered um, before one could even think about putting money to work because we've dipped. We haven't dipped at all. We've gone down 3%, and that is nothing. So, okay. Carter, I, I had thought that we were going to recheck those lows that we saw, the 2350 range. I agree with you. I think it's more, more like 5 or 7% down from here. Is there any shot in your mind? I, I know there's always a shot. So how credible is another shot down to 2350? I think it's the best bet you can make, meaning this is a minimum. The real question is, do we – now, it's important, right? People use the word retest. It would be a test. If you have a low and you go back there, you're testing it. If you go back there a second time, you're retesting it. So do we test the lows? I think we do. The best bet we can make is that we're going back to retest the lows? That's what, that's what I just heard sure. you say? I, I, I mean, here's the thing. A little unsettling Remember, on this so, Friday evening. <laughs> well, let's just talk about it. Remember, the market didn't peak in September October. That was a, a fake new high. Industrials peaked in January of 2000. 18. But Carter, materials I, I, peaked in 18. Energy peaked in January of 18. Staples peaked. It was only quote the S and P because Fang that we had that head fake. It turned out to be one of the great bull traps of all time. Global equities from the MSA, all world country, all of them, all peaked over a year ago, and they've never gotten better. Hey, hey Carter, um, we talk fundamentals, so let's just talk charts because that's what you're there to do. Uh, we've seen this. V I, I can before. do both if you well, like. 
I'm sorry, but we've seen this V before, right? I mean, ha- he looked like a one-trick pony to you. I'm sorry, no. Does Car- he look like a one-trick Car- pony? Carter, to you? If, if I was going to draft a team right now, he'd That's be yeah. the best athlete yeah. available, right? Okay, so to be clear, if I misspoke, but but haven't we seen this V before, Carter? Uh, you're talking about a V bottom like that? Yeah, so, well, I mean, look, that was historic, but we've seen Vs of 5%, of 7%. These haven't been Ws. They've been Vs. Uh, had a conversation with a client about that today. I mean, I, I, I think that's a fair point. Uh, right. So, it, well, you're talking about this kind of thing versus how many real Vs are there in terms of drawdowns in the S&P of 15%, 20%? Do you no, not I, get a test? We know, that, we know this was historic. I, I, I'm not saying this is like anything we've seen, but I'm saying in the last 10 years, we've seen these moments where the market has been right here uh, on, a, on a proportionate basis slower, but clearly a moment where we thought this was it. Yeah, I mean, again, I would say just look at the message of utilities, the fact that rates are doing what they're doing, that financials are not working, and that worse than anything, you, it was too steep. If we'd spent some time healing after the Christmas low and working through it, the fact that it happened so quickly is not a positive. It's a negative. It speaks to, frankly, a panic. There was a panic in December, and there's an equal and opposite panic now as money aggressively tries to catch up. And yet... That money that drove us higher in January, February can become an accelerant on the way back down as it has to reverse if and as things get worse. The point you're making, you're disputing the fact that you think this is simply a bear market bounce. You think this is a legitimate reversal. Look, I think Carter made a great point, which was that we essentially took an extreme downtrend and put an extreme uptrend and canceled canceled them out because the Fed basically did. That's exactly what the Fed did. So, um... I realize earnings aren't sexy. I realize the global economy is not in great shape. We've been in places where equities have actually performed in that environment. Just right. saying. Coming up, energy is the worst performing sector today, down more than 2%. One of the traders thinks it's about to get a lot worse. He's going to tell us how he's playing the crude crush. Coming up, plus gaming giant Take Two is hosting its NBA 2K draft for its gaming league this week. The CEO, Strauss Zelnick, will be here to explain why he is going all in on the esports fever. Check out shares of Netflix under pressure after one top analyst says the streaming competition is heating up. We've got those details much more fast is right after this. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production. And they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Netflix getting hit today down nearly 3% after, uh, after, at the lows after a downgrade from buy to neutral at Buckingham Research. They did keep their price target uh, intact, though, but they're looking at increased competition, which right. I think you know, everybody knows that story, susceptible to uh, just a general market downturn. Right. So right now, they're basically raising prices, losing content, spending more money. That's the negative story. That's the headwind. I do believe that if the overall market, which I, do, which I think is going to sell off, Netflix has to, in theory, sell off. So you agree with the, that critical point I, that they I, made? I, I like the overall stock. Market I like the back. stock. Netflix is going to go down. Has to. So I agree with that premise. But longer term, I think that people will have a bundle themselves of Stuff that they stuff that that they buy the streaming. They'll buy the Disney. They'll buy this one, and they'll buy two or three other ones. They'll probably spend around forty or some odd dollars collectively. 
with all the streamings that they do buy. So I, I think that they'll have competition. There's room for them. But, yes, I get the bear story you know, on that. Truthfully, they're going to spend a lot more than $40. A lot of the estimates are that your bills on this OTT products that you have are going to end up looking like your cable bills circa 2009. And then you're going to see all this stuff rebundled. Back That's to why some people are thing. blasting out of the OTT. The and but here, back it is. The, no, but exactly. But here, here, here's the big issue with Netflix right now. So you can say, oh, that price increase went really well. And don't worry, Marvel stuff and this and that or whatever Disney is going to be. They lost $3 billion in free cash flow last year, and they guided just a couple months ago to lose another $3 billion. At some point, if we are getting to the end of a cycle, especially with all the competition, the stock will not be able to continue to levitate. Stock's down, it's basically flat year over year. Nothing, nothing, with a lot of volatility. All right, coming up, the CEO of gaming giant Take-Two says esports are about to get bigger and bigger and better than ever. He'll tell us what got him so excited about that space, why he says we're nowhere close to reaching peak gaming. We're live from Times Square in New York City tonight. There is much more Fast Money right after this. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs and the small dogs who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. All right, we're back on Fast Money. Game On is Take-Two's NBA 2K League, the uh, gaming giant's competitive video game league, launched off earlier this week. It's second annual draft at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. 74 men, one woman, joined the ranks of 21 teams owned by their respective NBA franchises to live a life some now dream of, playing video games professionally as esports athletes. With us now, the man, the myth, and the gaming legend. Himself, take two CEO Strauss Zelnick. It's a big build-up. I hope you live up to the thing. <laughs> Never gotten that before. Yeah. Uh, Barclays Center is huge. I mean, it's unbelievable the growth in esports. Yeah, it's great. I mean, this is our second season. The first season ended with a with a great result, and everyone's looking forward to the April second tip-off. What's the average age of, of those who compete in esports now? Well, the, the competitors are on the on the young side, so I would say probably early to mid twenties. In terms of the people who watch all across the map, you know, more than 250 million people worldwide consider esports a really important form of entertainment. About half of them, 125 million, they're avid esports watchers. Yeah, and sports are still a big deal with kids playing games, as, as Fortnite is obviously, you know, skyrocketed. I mean, I speak for myself, my own son's, you know, still playing the hockey games, the basketball games, and, right. and, and Madden. Basketball, good. Take it here. 2K, obviously. Yeah. But seriously, I mean, it, those are still popular even in the face of the growth of these other Oh, absolutely. Other titles. I mean, we're having a record year with NBA 2K. So one of the things that we, we love is when there are more hits in the market, there are more people engaged, the entire market grows. 
So we're going to sell more units of NBA 2K this year than ever before. We'll have higher recurrent consumer spending than ever before. It's a new record. And that's at a time while some of our competitors are also doing well. Speaking of competitors, talk about Fortnite and Apex and competition and what you think about that, because I'm sure, as you said, you, know, you see that the trends for you are great. So uh, we think that uh, Fortnite is, is, a, is a great thing for the industry. It's yeah. probably brought in a somewhat younger consumer. Um, I, I'm often asked, is that something that's hurt us? To the contrary, no. We've seen the market continue to grow. At the same time that Fortnite has been an extraordinary hit for Ep Epic, we had another record year for Grand Theft Auto Online last yep. year. We had a, a record quarter for engagement for Rockstar Games between Grand Theft Auto Online and Red Dead Online. We sold more than 23 million units of Red Dead Redemption 2 in this fiscal year. So we have, we have great results at the same time that our competitors are doing well. Strauss, you just mentioned units, okay, and that's what your typical investors, they, they kind of understand that for a game maker. How are you monetizing, uh, you know, this new business of eSports, or what are the other revenue streams that, you know, investors should be focused on? So the biggest new revenue stream for us and some of our competitors is what we call recurrent consumer spending, which is every form of net bookings that isn't a full game sale. Our goal is every time we put out a title, we have an opportunity to continue to engage with that title over a period of time. And then if consumers do engage, we're able to monetize that engagement. That can be in-game spending, virtual currency, downloadable add-on content, or the like. So that's our biggest opportunity. That's become a quarter of our business in the last quarter. In addition, you mentioned eSports, and it's timely, obviously, because we just had the draft. That now looks to be uh, breaking the billion-dollar mark in terms of the industry as a whole. Remember, most of that still goes to League of Legends, which is not one of our titles. Um, and we have a couple competitors who are doing well. Overwatch is doing well. NBA 2K League is, is the one to watch. In our so, opinion, Strauss, how, how do you think about add-on content with your AAA titles in light of Fortnite? Is it what you just said? Is it the microtransactions? Is that how you're thinking about adding content in? Is that what we're going to see in everything that we've seen with Fortnite? Is that build out microtransactions for you? Is that the highest opportunity? Remember, microtransactions is spending, and that's a reflection in our view of engagement. What we focus on is making the highest quality entertainment and engaging our customer. If we get that right, monetization follows, revenues follow, and profits follow. And that's been our story for the, uh, the 11 years that we've been responsible for this enterprise. Yeah. Strauss, appreciate you being here. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. All right, take two, Strauss Zelnick. You want to trade it, Timmy? Yeah, I'm, I'm long the stock. It's been, it's been a tough run. And in fact, we're at a place here on valuation. It, it's really, you know, it, it's, it's compelling relative to itself for sure. But trading, you know, just south of 30 times with, with you know, top line growth that frankly seems to be somewhat stagnant. So um, I'm a big believer in this industry. I, I think the valuations are also going to make some of these names start to look pretty attractive to media companies who, as Strauss pointed out, I mean, this has really become a, an esports watching story globally. And they both got hit. So well, I shouldn't say they both. All of them. Uh, yeah, yeah, all of them, all of them got sure. hit. And, I, and, and uh, to Timmy's point, this one got hit the hardest. So if you're looking for a rebound effect or some type of reversion, I would think that this is the name that you're going to get. Yeah, and, and here's the thing. So, so revenues are stagnant. The stock's almost got cut in half in the last six, seven months since the all-time highs. But it's got a great balance sheet. When you think about the content they have, trading at three and a half times sales, I mean, to me, this looks like a very valuable and underappreciated asset because it is scarce. There is only one NBA 2K league. And the, you think about all the opportunities that they're going to emerge from this esports phenomenon. To me, this seems like pretty I'm a attractive. Grand Theft Auto guy. Yeah. I have noticed that some, that some kids who got all in on Fortnite have now gravitated back towards the sports games. Not, not only, you know, my own son, but him and his friends, where it was only Fortnite, and now it's back. 
to the sports game. So maybe they're transitory and not that overly dramatic. I think the stocks thought. show that and people are concerned about the transitory nature. All right, time all. for final trades. Let's go around the horn now. Timmy, you're up first. UNH, get long. CBW. Utilities, XLU. Mr. Grasso. GE. Uh, XLE, selling it. All right, options action <laughs> starts right after this break. Don't go anywhere. How do you land your dream job? It starts by acing the interview. Learn exactly what hiring managers are looking for with CNBC Make It's new career-boosting online course. Get the limited-time offer. Register now at cnbcmakeit.com slash courses.